I love Home Depot. When I make a trip to Home Depot, I have this man pride fear that I'm going to look clueless among a bunch of other macho handyman tool bearing guys who say stuff like, yeah, dude, you know the difference between an O-ring and a C-clamp? I don't. They do. And, uh, and they say things like, hey, oh, man, that, that, that super power turbo hybrid auger that's on sale at Home Depot right now, that's a way better price than Lowe's. You got to get the solar charged turbo brushless kit edition, man. I don't know what that means. So if there's a toilet leaking at my house, I have to watch a YouTube video to see how I actually fix it and if it's a gasket or a, a chain thing or I call a plumber. But I try to fix it and so I watch the YouTube video and then I go to Home Depot and then with, the, with my best ability possible, I strut through the plumbing aisle like a real man. Like, like all those other guys, like I know what I'm doing. And then I, I get to where I think I need to be, and there's a vast, I, I know I need an O-ring. I go, and there's two million O-rings. I, I don't know which, which one I'm supposed to get, a kind of general size, and I just, I just watched a YouTube video and said, get an O-ring. I thought there was one O-ring, and there's a million. And it's at that moment where I'm thinking, I have no clue what I'm doing. I look clueless, I look like an idiot, I'm trying not to. Lord, please send a Home Depot associate to me. Not a 16-year-old who's never looked at plumbing, not an 89-year-old who thinks it's the 1930s. God, send me a 31-year-old Home Depot associate who's an expert plumber. Please help me, God, amen. And. I'm there in the plumbing aisle, and a 31-year-old Home Depot associate comes up and says, uh, Sir, may I help you? With no ounce of judgment, no, no indication that he sees that I'm clueless, and it makes my day. Home Depot is awesome. You know why? Because Home Depot connects people to life's needs. And uh, just, just think back, like, last month, January, right? Home Depot cleared all the Christmas decorations out. And now what do they have at Home Depot? They have all the spring planting materials. It's all out there. All the beautiful spring flowers, all the dirt and mulch you could ever want. And it's all out. Why? Because they know people. And they know what we're going to need. And they arrange their inventory appropriately. Home Depot. Awesome. You know, if Home Depot really connects their mission very well to people's needs, but they're an earthly organization. Doesn't make them bad, it just means at some point Home Depot is not gonna exist anymore. At some point they will be gone, they will pass away. That, that, that's what I mean by earthly, okay? So Home Depot is an earthly organization. And if they're that good at connecting people to life's needs, then shouldn't the church as an eternal organization be at least that good, if not better? Say amen? Yes. So why is the Home Depot parking lot more crowded right now than church parking lots? You know how church people answer that question? The devil. 
The devil. That's, if it weren't for the devil, our parking lot would be full. That wicked world, they're going to hell in a handbasket. All those wicked people out there, they don't know that they should be in church on Sunday. They're out at the golf course and at Home Depot and at the gym, and they're not here. Ah, they're going to hell, and too bad for them. Or church people like to say, you know, it's not our job to count cars in the parking lot. We shouldn't be talking about numbers and growth. That's God's job. Our job is just to be right, to, to hold on to the truth, to build a fortress of true teaching and make sure that we preserve that and that no one comes from the outside and destroys it. That's church people talk. If a business owner thought in those terms and practiced that type of business, they wouldn't last long. They'd be bankrupt in a hurry. So what makes us think that as the church, if we have those thoughts, we are going to be around? I, I mean, I, I'm talking church bankruptcy here, and it's very possible when the church thinks that way. We just, we become lost. Lost in our understanding of the culture around us and how they're connecting to Jesus? Lost in our thinking of what the church's mission is? And honestly, within church itself, lost without Jesus. You know, Jesus talked uh, to a group of people who needed to hear this. It was, a, it was actually uh, a group of, of uh, church people and Jesus was eating with unchurched people, outsiders. And Jesus was eating with them. And here was the complaint of the church experts. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the church professionals, like pastors, like me. Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This, this rabbi from Nazareth is Jesus. He is opening his doors to drifters and doubters. How dare he? He's opening his table to tattooed people and people with addictions. Shame on him. He's opening his love to people who aren't as loyal to him as we church people are. How dare he? And then he says they're forgiven. Who's the most lost here? The tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is eating with? The church experts? Or Jesus? So Jesus tells them a parable. That's a teaching story. He says this, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That sound a little reckless to you? You have, 90, you have 100 sheep, one of them 
gets lost, wanders away, going after some poisonous weed somewhere, or lollygagging, not, not paying attention. One of them goes, and you leave the 99 in the open country where there's plenty of predators and plenty of poisonous weeds and plenty of cliffs, but you leave them to go after the one. That, to me, does not sound very responsible as being a shepherd, does it? Doesn't it sound kind of reckless? And that's the point. Jesus says, I am recklessly in love with you, and I want you to be part of my flock. Absolutely reckless. How reckless? Jesus left the safe and serene pastures of heaven from eternity, and he came to this world to be born. He, and he came here. He left that serene scene with angels and bliss up in heaven. And he said, that's not for me. I'm going to go to this ugly world going to hell in a handbasket. And he came and made a loving search. If you have, if you have never followed Jesus, please see Jesus in this as coming to find and forgive you. Or if you've been a lifelong Christian and you've become blind in some ways to your own lostness and, and ways of thinking, please know that Jesus comes to find and to forgive you. Jesus himself states his own mission here in Luke chapter 19. He says this, that, that his mission is to seek and save the lost. Look at that closely, because that says two things. First of all, when Jesus says, my mission is to seek and to save the lost, what Jesus says is that he's, he doesn't wait for you to come to him, but he comes to you. Right? He showed that by coming from heaven to this earth. Jesus comes to you. All right? Secondly, he doesn't expect you to accumulate all, t all kinds of good work that, that make up for your sins and to somehow earn with your, with your accumulated good works. He, he says he came to seek and save not, not the winners, not the righteous. He actually said, I came to seek sinners, not righteous people who don't need me, who think they, they have so many good works. They don't. I came to see people who are lost in sin, and that's all of us. Seek and save the lost is his mission. Ah. Jesus left heaven for you to make the complete payment for God's justice for your sins, and he found you. And now Jesus' mission continues. It's not done. Now that Jesus has found us, Jesus wants us to find others. So he wants to found to find more lost. And he wants the sheep to become shepherds. And he wants the rescued to become rescuers. And that's happening here at Cross Life Church. Man, um, this past year, 2023, by God's blessing, we welcomed 60 adults and kids into our Cross Life family as members. Wow! That's, a, that's almost half of this room here right now. We welcome that, that many new people. Praise God, yes? Okay. 
I wish that you knew the stories of every one of those families, including the Abedes, and, and uh, you saw their video. Thank you to the baptism families who make those videos. I got a nudge every single one of them. They're like, do I have to? Yes, please. And then they do, and, the, and they hear their wonderful stories. So if you are one of those families, thank you. It's great for people to get to know you and then to say, you know, I think I want to be baptized too through your story. Uh, praise God for that. I want to tell you some of the, some of the stories. I'm just going to describe them generally of some of those 60 who have come here just because we praise God for these kind of people. Um, 2023 for me was the year of, of, of welcoming and ministering to single moms. Single moms, you are awesome. Okay, you got it going on. I mean, you're, you're, you're one parent taking care of at least one, if not multiple kiddos, and you're balancing them and finding a job, or you might lose a job, or you might get in a car accident, and you're not receiving, maybe, maybe not receiving support from your spouse. Man, can we give it up for single moms? Thank you, single moms. You're awesome. We have a bunch of single moms who have joined us here at Cross Life Church. And other, other profile is multi-generation families. I'm seeing more of those coming here to Cross Life Church. Here's what I mean by multi-generation families. Usually it's like the 30-something kids who show up. So they're 30 years old, they have parents, and, and then they have little kids, right? But these, the 30-somethings show up and they come and check out the church. And then they go back and they report to mom and dad who moved here from California three years ago to live near their kids. And then mom and dad say, well, we haven't found a church yet in Pflugerville, so we're going to come with you. And so they bring mom and dad, and then they bring the kids. And then two Sundays later, the little kids are running into church with their Bibles that they got at Cross Kids, running in, leading everybody. And it's a beautiful scene. So multi-generation families, we praise God for you. Can everybody give it up? Multi-generation families. I'm also seeing families with passion. Passion. I'm thinking, Addison, I'm thinking of, uh, of Mr. Addison um, reading the Old Testament as he was coming to Cross Life Church and then reading the New Testament um, after he joined a Cross Life family. And it's just a wonderful thing. And I said, I said to Addison, what's next? You've read the Old Testament. You've read the New Testament. What's next? And he said, we got to get more people. We got to be on mission and get more people reading the Old and New Testament. I love that. That's passion for mission, passion for digging deeper and diving into God's word, passion uh, for group ministry, passion to serve. So thank you, the new people, for the passion that you bring. It really helps ignite us and be on fire with you. So thank you. Um, we have uh, groups. We have group ministry. I think of uh, our men's group and our women's group and the the. Oh, man, the depth and, and meaning and intimacy and transparency and genuineness of those relationships in those groups is awesome. If you are, I'm not going to ask you to talk, but if you've been to men's group or women's group, raise your hand, right? So these folks, are, I love it. I love it. So that what happens in those groups is just huge. And our life group ministry all in all. So thank you, Greg and Sue, for leading life group ministry for life group leaders. Can you give it up for them that they have? We've seen that. Um, that all these are examples of the sheep becoming shepherds, of the rescued becoming rescuers of others. Um, praising God for you all. You know, it can be very challenging for church people to become consumers 
and spectators. I'm going to show up on Sunday, Pastor, and you just give it to me. I'm here, I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'm here, and I'll, I'll pay, pray, and obey, and you all go on your merry way, right, to become consumers and spectators. I don't, I don't see that here. It's going to be a temptation for each of us and for our church as we grow. Let's fight it tooth and nail and say, God, we are on mission, and we want to do what Jesus did. We want to seek and save the lost. So Jesus describes his mission in another way, too. He says this in Matthew chapter 28. We call this the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, Go and make disciples. Jesus commands disciples to multiply. Hey, multiply, make more disciples. Now there's something going on there that becomes a challenge, and it's this. If there's... 10 disciples. And Jesus says to that nice, happy group of 10 disciples that all fit around the table and they all know each other's cars and what they drive and they, they know each other's names and their kids' names. And he says, I want you to multiply. And they say, okay, Jesus, we're going to multiply. And those 10 disciples meeting in this little, tiny, 10 by 10 cubicle office space following Jesus, each goes and multiplies and finds 10 more disciples. And so they, they come back, and would that be 110 or 100? They each find 10, that would be 110, right? Help me? Yes? Okay. Nah, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to math. I started taking foreign languages like Latin when I was a sophomore in high school. 110 crammed into this room. Now there's no space. And now they don't know who they're bumping into. They don't know their names. It's not as intimate anymore. They're saying, what's going on? Is this really worth it? So, th so this safe, comfortable environment of 10 people has now become uncomfortable as they are going about Jesus' mission. See the trade-off? Is it worth it? Jesus says so. It is. The trade-off of of having more people in God's kingdom is worth our loss of comfort and privilege. As a matter of fact, I would say it's good for it. The growth, the, the, the uncomfortability is good for my sense of safety, security, and privilege. It's good for me to be pushed out of my parking spot once in a while. I don't see that as a pastor. I don't, have, I don't want a parking spot. I don't want a spot out there that says, Pastor Park here. I don't want that. Because I don't want you to have one of those either. So that when someone parks in my spot, our spot, we say, praise God, hallelujah, there's another person here at church. Or someone sits in your family's seats here in, in the worship center. You know, we all you know, tend to sit, I'm looking at, most people who sit same spot every Sunday, I know where to find you. Someone comes and sits in your spot. Whoa, you give them heck. No, you say, I'm so glad you're here. I'll go stand. How does it feel when that happens? How does it feel when new people come and they're different than the majority of the common group of, the, of that ten? That 10, they, they speak Latin. And someone comes and wants to speak 
Greek. How can that feel? It can feel wrong. It can feel like not the right thing. But then the Latin speakers say to the Greek speakers, well, how about if we let you talk and, and you teach us some, and lo and behold, they learn Greek and they can go out and spread the word of God to the world. So how does it feel when we have people here in worship who say amen a hundred times more than you say it? And they don't just raise one hand in worship, they raise two when they sing. Woo! And, and their kids run around more than your kids do. You might look at them and say, that's wrong. And you'd be wrong. You know, if you were a, a Pharisee or an expert in the law, you would look at all those things and be critical. And it would feel wrong. And you would rise to the defense of your own preferences. Even if it means making church rules and church decisions about budgets. As long as they fit your preferences, then they're good. That's what Pharisees do. People who are on mission with Jesus, they do what Jesus would do. They say it feels good to lose my parking spot. It feels good to have one, have people here who, who speak even another language, and that feels good. And not only, we're, we're not here to accommodate them as if we're superior and they're inferior, and we're making, we're blessing them. I tell you what happens. They come to us, tattooed people, outsiders, drifters, doubters, skeptics, atheists. They come to us, and when we open our doors like Jesus did, they're going to teach us something and we'll be better for it on mission with Jesus. Go and make disciples. All right, one more item about this, uh, this shepherd and Jesus parable, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Jesus talks about um, this, this shepherd who went out to search for the sheep, and he found it. And here's what happens when he finds the sheep. He finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Can you see his joy? Can you see his joy? How do you know he's joyful? If the Bible doesn't say he had joy, which it does, how do you know he's joyful? Because he's not putting that sheep in a sack and dragging it behind him all the way home. He found this lost little lamb. What does he do with it? He hoists it up on his shoulders, he puts it on his shoulders, and he dances all the way home. People, salvation is a party, and your face is invited, and your hands, and your feet tap your toes a little bit when we sing a song. How, how do people who are lost, who are looking for Jesus, know that there's joy to be found in the church? They see it in you the sheep who have become the shepherds. I, uh, I went to Chick-fil-A yesterday to get the, uh, the little Chick-fil-A bag that I shared with the kids for the children's message. And it was raining cats and dogs when I went to Chick-fil-A, and, and, and I pulled in. And uh, Chick-fil-A was just, you could tell that they had intention 
about being an organization that's organized to care for people. Even as I was driving around the building and then I turned the corner to go to the drive-thru, it was very clear, even in the rain, I could barely see, it was very clear based on signage that one drive-thru lane was closed and the other lane was open. Very clear. I didn't have to wonder, where should I go? I went into that lane. The car ahead of me was just finishing up. I drove forward and there was the Chick-fil-A drive-thru attendant with a rain poncho on, standing out in the rain, kind of in the rain, kind of under the awning, greeting me with a smile, good morning, sir, welcome to Chick-fil-A. What can we prepare for you? Those are her words. What can we prepare for you? I don't, the guys at McDonald's don't say that, though, don't get me wrong, I like McDonald's too, but Chick-fil-A makes it a point to care. What can we prepare for you? It's all about the customer. I will have a grilled chicken club sandwich with gluten-free bun, please. Well, yes, sir. Anything else with that? No, thank you. What's your name? What? You care enough about me to ask my name? My name is Darren. Great. Thank you, Darren. That'll be $10.16. Oh. Oh, man, I had, I had $10. I, uh, I have, that's okay, sir. Why don't you just drive forward and you can pay at the other window? Oh, thank you. I drive forward. I'm ready to, to be in line a long time, as drive throughs tend to be, and it took like 30 seconds, and I was at that window. I thought, wow, that happened fast. I bet my club chicken sandwich is not ready yet. It was sure ready and fresh, and it had the gluten-free bun. All of it. And, and when I drove up to the pickup window, there was, it wasn't just a person behind glass, but there was actually a young lady out there in the rain with a rain poncho on at the pickup window to say, all right, our, here you go, Darren. And she knew my name. And then she was able to take my $11 and give me change. I thought, wow. And she was smiley and nice and happy as she stood in the rain. And I just, I felt so good, I left her a tip. And she kind of giggled at me, goofy, like, this is the first time that's ever happened. But I bet it isn't. All of that experience was part of, for me, as the customer, organized care. That Chick-fil-A said, we want to make sure we do things because you matter. And so guess what happens? I'm going back to Chick-fil-A again and again and again. You want to come with me? I'll bring my church credit card. We can put it on. Now, the sad news is Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday, so we're not going there today. But is there another organization around who can show by their mission that they are really interested in organized care and that they're committed to it and that they're willing to show it for their customers? And could that be us?